Hello, welcome everyone. We're so glad to have you with us, our family and friends, old and new. We're wonderfully blessed to have you grace us this morning as we worship our God together. Um, it's such a blessing to be family, and it's a blessing to worship with you today. Today we're going to be continuing our series of walking with God as we journey through Lent. This Lenten season, we're kind of holding on to this idea of, of walking with God. As we go through not only this season, may we be reminded that we don't just walk with God alone. We walk with God with the Spirit inside of us. We walk with God with the body of Christ around us. So as we journey through Lent, this is not only an individual journey, but it's a journey as a church, and maybe even as the greater church. Um, in Lent, we, we talk a lot about how things are, are in tension, how it's, it's holding on to God, but also holding on to each other. And I think one of the, the helpful ways I've kind of thought about the tension of, of, of what we're holding on this season of Lent isn't just, you know, that they compete with each other and knock heads or, or that they're pulling us to two different directions. Uh, I think one simple way I've, I've kind of held on to it is that, you know, I have two hands. So it's just like they're both things that we have to hold in hand as we walk in God together. So for example, in Lent, as we remember Jesus in the wilderness for those 40 days, we can hold that in one hand. And, and as we remember that Lent this season also points us to Calvary and then Resurrection Sunday and the march towards Calvary, we can hold that in hand together as we walk forward. As we, we hold on to the, the 40 days in the wilderness, Lent reminds us that this is a season of intentional prayer, of intentional self-restraint or self-denial, of repentance and of reconciliation. Um, and the other hand, as we, we hold on in the season, is we march towards Calvary. And as we march towards Calvary, we're reminded of Jesus' call to take up our crosses and to follow him. And that's actually where we're going to be focused on this morning. What does it mean to, to not only self-sacrifice and self-denial, but what does it mean to take up our cross to follow him? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, I'll be reading verses 21 to 28 um, in the NIV. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this morning for the chance to worship you. We thank you this morning for the chance to, to hear from you, to be led by you. We thank you for the chance to know you and to be known by you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the new life we have in Christ, for the new life that is represented by you abiding in us and living in us and breathing through us and leading and guiding us to live and love in a way that pleases God, our Father. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your call your call and your ministry, but also your example of how you taught us what it means to follow God. Lord, help us this morning 
learn to take up our crosses, to truly, truly follow you, to truly, truly be your disciples, to truly, truly be those who you have left to help point this world back to our Father. Lord, teach us how to love in a way that the world can see, that our world can see, that we belong to you, and that you have a greater plan for them. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. So one of the things I've been thinking about is how in life I've had some reoccurring questions that are really, really helpful in my faith. Reoccurring questions that kind of center me or change my focus or at least call my focus to something that I think God is either working in me, working through me, or just growing me through. In the past year, if you've been with us, you, you hear one of my favorite ones, kind of the ones that kind of led all through 2020 was God simply saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me now? Do you trust me in this? But another one of these centering questions for me, it, it comes with, you know, this passage this morning, but also this idea of, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, for, for most of my life, that, that meant trust. It meant trusting God. It meant trusting that the Father would be my Abba Father who's always there. It meant trusting that God would be faithful and to always be the one who comes through. It meant trusting God's presence even in strange places or even in places where I felt by myself. It meant trusting God's fruit that God would not only bear fruit in my life, but in the life of the people around me, and so encouraged me to grow. And it meant that God's voice could be heard. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I think all of us can answer that question very, very differently, especially depending on our state in life or our stage in life. For example, how would you answer what does it mean to have follow Jesus in the past? How would you answer, what does it mean to follow Jesus five years ago, a year ago, a month ago? How about now in the present? What does it mean to you to follow Jesus? And as you look to the future, what do you think following Jesus for you looks like? Now, I think for me, depending on where, where, what stage I was in life, if you ask me, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I might also say, I think it means to share the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, to tell people how good he is, what Jesus has done, and how Jesus saves. I think there's other times in life that you'll ask me, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I'll say, well, it's not just sharing the gospel, it's living the gospel. It's looking to Jesus to, to not only be our Savior and our Lord, but actually our example and how we are to live. Because if we live in love like Jesus, our world will see us and glorify our Father in heaven. The Spirit can then convict them to, to, to save them. And I think if you also ask me in a different time in life, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I'll say it's to seek first the kingdom of God. Or I might even tell you it's about knowing the full gospel and living the full gospel and sharing the full gospel. That is Jesus left heaven to come to earth. That Jesus lived on this earth to show us how to live and please God. And that Jesus went to Calvary's tree, died for our sins. And that Jesus was raised on that third day. And that Jesus is right now in heaven, our mediator before the Father God. And that Jesus one day, after making heaven perfect for us, will bring heaven down and Jesus will come back again. Live and love like Jesus has been one of these phrases that have kind of dominated my life as I think about the last maybe 10, maybe even 15 years. This idea that we can live in a way to please God by looking at Jesus as the way. But in our passage today, Jesus actually says a different way of following him. Not that trusting God isn't good. Not that living the, the gospel or sharing the gospel or knowing the full gospel isn't good. Not that relying on God isn't good. 
But Jesus says that there's another way to follow him. And when you look at Matthew 16 and our verses 21 to 28 today, you'll see that Jesus' answer of what does it mean to follow me is take up your cross and follow me. Matthew 16, there's really four different scenes that I want to kind of briefly run through, or three, and then we'll get to our passage. And there's, there's four different discourses happening throughout this chapter. The first one is actually a scene where the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come to Jesus asking for a sign. The, the Pharisees had a lot of the, the, the popular um, um, opinion of the day. They knew the lay of the land, and they had the popular support, if you will. The Sadducees had the, the political power of the day. And those two came together against Jesus. And they come to Jesus and says, okay, if you're supposed to be this Messiah, this prophet, this savior, uh, show us a sign. And in that first discourse, Jesus says, you know, you guys, you all know how to interpret signs by looking at the sky. You know the pulse of the people. You know the lay of the land. But you continue to miss the signs that I do. You continue to miss the signs of God. And you continue to miss and you'll miss it until maybe I show you the sign of Jonah. In which case, Jesus had said earlier in Matthew that the sign of Jonah is that, yes, I will go and I will die. And just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of the big fish, I will spend three days in the ground in the earth. But then I will reappear. I will be resurrected. You look for a sign. Look for that one. The second discourse happens a little bit after and Jesus in the Disciples go across the lake and, and they get to the other side and, and the disciples realize that, oh man, we forgot the bread. And Jesus, you know, looking at them all distraught, you know, says that, you know, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And the disciples look at each other and they're just like, I'm not sure I know what that means, but like all we did was forget the bread. Like what does this mean? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And Jesus opens up again to them and tells them, that in this day and age that you live, there will be people who say they follow God, but their teaching will be evil, or their teaching will not be of me, or their teaching will pull you away from me. Beware of the false teachers. Beware of those who pull you away from me. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, because it may rise in that bread, but that bread does not come from me, the bread of life. And in the third discourse of Matthew 16, that Jesus is again with the disciples and they're gathered all around and, and Jesus goes to them and Jesus says, well, 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 who do the people say that I am? And the disciples put their heads together and they're going back and forth and they're like, well, well some think you might be John the Baptist and, and some think you might be Elijah come back because you know like that was some of the belief that Elijah would come again and, and Jesus actually a lot of your miracles kind of look like things Elijah did. And, and, but, but some also think you might be like Jeremiah come back because you know you like to do that doom and gloom sometimes. And then Jesus hears all this. Let's just settle. And then he says to them, okay, that's what the people say I am. But who do you say that I am? And Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, steps up and says, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus hears this. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter. It is not flesh and blood. It's not what the people out there have said. It's not even you who have led you to this con con uh, conclusion. It is only my Father in heaven who has revealed this to you. And because of that, 
Jesus does this thing where he, you know, Peter in the Greek, or at least the language uh, back then, kind of meant rock, right? And Jesus says, you, Peter, you will be the rock upon which I will build my church. And those are the three discourses. The first one, the Pharisees and the Sadducees asking for signs. And Jesus says, I will show you a sign. And that is, I am going to die and be raised again. The disciples thinking they're just crossing the, the river or crossing the lake. And Jesus saying, no, 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 no. You forgot the bread. But also beware and remember the yeast of the Pharisees, the teaching of people who who look righteous but aren't righteous, the teaching of people who look like they follow me but aren't following me, the teaching that pulls you away from me instead of drawing you closer to me and my father. And then the third discourse where, where Jesus says, yes, yes, you, Simon, You will be the rock I build my church on because the Spirit has revealed to you that I am indeed the Messiah, that I am indeed the Savior, that I am indeed the Son of the living God. And then we get to this fourth discourse, this fourth scene, if you will. And here Jesus again shifts the conversation. And now he goes not just talking about signs and future, but Jesus actually sits his disciples down and begins to explain that he must go to Jerusalem. Just like the people since ancient times have been going to Jerusalem with their sacrifices, he must go to Jerusalem to be the ultimate sacrifice. And these Pharisees and Sadducees that we've been talking about, Jesus says, I must suffer many things at the hands of these elders, these chief priests, these teachers of the law. And then he says to them that I must be killed. I must die. And on the third day, I will be resurrected back to life. And Peter, perhaps feeling buoyed, by the Spirit speaking before him, maybe, you know, in that, that scene earlier where he claims that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Or maybe Peter, feeling buoyed by, by being one of the leaders among the disciples, felt the need to, 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 to clear things up here. Or maybe Peter was just being Peter again, where if something was on his heart, he just let it pour out of him. And what's interesting about verse 22, when Peter takes the Lord aside to rebuke the Lord, which is, which is something, right, is that, In those day and age, teachers were not rebuked by students and certainly not in a public setting. So whatever it is that got into Peter motivated him to to say, no, 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 Jesus, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. The Lord says, Peter, and he says to the disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer many things. I will die by the hands of the teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law, but I will be raised on the third day. And Peter's response is like, no, never, never shall that happen to you. And Peter rebukes, but the Lord corrects. And when Jesus corrects, he looks Peter dead in the eye and he says, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus very clearly points out to us That anything that's standing in the way of God's will is a Satan or an adversary. But I think even deeper than that, Jesus to Peter, one of his best friends, one of the people in the inner circle, one of the main leaders of the disciples, one of the main leaders of what's going to be the early church. Jesus says to even Peter and proves to us that it's not just anything that stands in the will of God, but anyone. Anyone 
that keeps us from doing God's will can be an adversary or can be a tool of Satan. So Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. God's concerns, God's will, God's plan, God first, always. And then Jesus gets to this section that I think the church has been trying to remember. Because when you ask us what it means to follow God, we can tell you the answers. Live like Jesus. Trust God. Rely on God. Know his commands. But I think one of the hardest realities of following God is that all of us must take up our cross. All of us must take up our cross to truly, truly follow Jesus. And Jesus points out that living for yourself is losing your life. That living for yourself is even if you gain the whole world, you lose your soul, you lose your life. And that the only way to find life, the only way to truly follow him is to live for him. Many lessons there are so many lessons we can pull from this passage. And this is one I invite you to keep coming back and back to, not just in the series of Lent, but maybe even throughout this year. But it's four things I want to point out that I think are really, really helpful for us as we think about what does it mean for us to, to self-deny? What does it mean for us to, to take up our crosses? And I think the first one is that we all have crosses to bear. Every single person who gives their life to Jesus, we all have crosses to bear. You know, last week we talked about the importance of living by the Spirit and not the flesh. So for some of us, how the cross shows up that we have to bear comes from, from going to being that old person to the new creation. It comes from, from trying to take off that, that, the old person, take off all those things that pull us away from God, all those sins that so easily ensnare us, all those ways we fall short. And put on that new robe to change our clothes and to exchange Jesus' righteousness. Sometimes that is a cross to bear. Fighting the flesh. Fighting who you once were to become who God desires you to be. For some of us, though, it's not just fighting the sin or fighting the flesh that's our cross to bear. For some of us, it's truly living for Jesus. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Living for the king and the kingdom. For some of us, it's trusting that all we see is not all that there is. For trusting that it's not, about, it's not about us individually. It's not about me. It's about we. It's about the entire body of Christ. It's about how God has called us together to do his work. It's about realizing that changing this world for the better is our work to do. So for some of us, the cross to bear might be something we have to put off. But for some of us, it might be something we have to put off and something that we have to do. And your cross to bear might be your calling in this world. And the question becomes, are you following what God has called you to do? Are you living the way God has called you to live? Yes. But are you doing what God has for you? Are you being faithful to the gifts God's given you? Are you using your experience? Are you using your skills, your gifts, your abilities? Are you using your entire life? 
to bring glory to God. We all have crosses to bear. The second lesson I think we get from this story is one that they've gotten for thousands of years. None of this is new. But the second lesson is this. Taking up our cross involves self-denial. And I think this has always been true. But I only now live in 2021, and I only now live in the presence. And I know that we live in a world of excess. We live in a world of access. We live in a world of self-centeredness. We live in a world of excess, especially for those of us here in the West, because we have more than we need. We hold on to more than we can carry. We have access just about anything that we want. We can get from the touch of a screen or the dial of a phone or a walk or a drive in the car. We have excess. We have access. And I think that the, the, the unholy triumvirate of excess and access is that we've come, and I'm going now, we as, as history here in the West, we've come through this enlightenment which kind of said maybe we as humans should be the center of it all. And we've graduated a couple generations past that enlightenment to not saying maybe we should be the center of it all, but to actually placing us at the center of it all. So we as people with access, we as people with access have now made ourselves the Lord of our universe and we're so self-centered. And I think self-denial, not just in this Lent season, but in all of our seasons, self-denial is a witness to our world. It's a witness to ourselves. It's a chance to take the focus off of ourselves and put it back on God. Because in a world of excess, if you choose enough, if you choose enough, you change the narrative, yes. But you also change your focus on acquiring more and saying, what do I have that's enough? Because my access can now be given to someone else. In a world of excess, disciples are called to choose enough. What is enough for you? What is excess for you? And how can you use that excess for God's glory? In a world of access, we are called to sacrifice. I think it's Charles Dickens who has this line who says that it, it, what we sacrifice today pales into comparison with what we can become tomorrow. What we sacrifice today pales in comparison to what we can become tomorrow. So yes, we may have access to all of our heart's desire, but what if we truly lived lives of sacrifice? What if we truly lived lives of giving up our access, giving up our excess, not just to glorify God, which is great enough, but to truly let God use that excess and access to do his good in the world. What do you have access to that you can open the door for someone else? What do you have access to that God can use for his glory to help someone else's situation? And in a world where we're all grandchildren of this enlightenment, where we all struggle with self-centeredness and looking out for me and mine, in a world that's so focused on the self, if we're willing to intentionally every single day recenter ourselves and to focus on Jesus and to focus on Jesus being Lord, 
We can be his witnesses. We can be his disciples. So when the world gives us access, let us say enough. When the world gives us access, let us say we will sacrifice. When the world tells us that we are the most important thing, let us say Jesus is the most important one. Taking up your cross is self-denial. And I think the last two lessons we get from Jesus' interaction with Peter And personally, these are the harder ones for me. I know I have a cross to bear. I know that taking up the cross is self-denial. But what's really, really hard is that we all have things that pull us from Christ. I think for some of us, it's sin. For some of us, it's those things we do that we ought not to do. For some of us, it's things that we know are destructive. But I think what makes this harder is that not only is it sin for some of us, but it can also be really, really good things. Good things that may not be God's best or good things that make horrible masters. Good things that make horrible gods. If it's sin, we have to put it off because it's pulling us from Christ. Or sometimes it's very good things And I'm talking about things like family. I'm talking about things like maybe financial security, especially if you grow up not having that. I'm talking about things like career and pursuing your goals. I'm talking about things like friendships. There can be really, really good things that if they're not centered on Jesus, that if you're not submitting them to Jesus for his glory, that if you're not putting Jesus first in, All those things can become our gods. And all those things can actually pull us from our Christ. So the challenge becomes, Jesus is Lord. So even in these good things, whether it's family, financial stability, whether it's career or education, whether it's friendships or just things that we enjoy, is Jesus at the center? Is Jesus Lord? Because remember, All those good things may not be God's best, but all those good things can become idols and they are horrible masters. The only loving master we know is Jesus as Lord. And if there are things that can pull us from Christ, Jesus to Peter, the one he anointed just a a couple verses before, also reminds us that we all have people that pull us from Christ. We all have people that pull us from Christ. In this world of access, just by any thought that you have, you can probably find a guru or someone to embellish that thought or to even expand you on that thought. In this world of access, just about everything that you want, you can probably find it at your earliest convenience. Now, for some of us, it's easy to shrug off people who don't believe in Jesus and say, oh, we will not follow them. But for some of us, it's harder because sometimes the people who pull up from Christ are the people who believe in Jesus. And I'm not just talking about, oh, they read a passage a different way. I'm talking about people who genuinely believe Jesus, believe that he's the Savior, but they don't pick up the cross. Believe that he'll save them in the life to come, but they're not living for him today. Believe that Jesus is the Lord of the universe, 
but is not the Lord of their life. I think these are people that we can become. I think these are people that we can follow. And if the things that aren't God's best aren't good for us and they pull us away from Jesus, certainly the people who aren't God's best can pull us away from Jesus too. So the question becomes, is there anything that I'm valuing more than Jesus? Is there anything I'm submitting to more than Jesus? Maybe the harder one for some of us is, is there anyone who's in my life, who's a central figure in my life? And it doesn't just have to be the people we live with or the people we love. For a lot of us, it could be who we listen to or who we don't listen to, the books we read, the movies we watch, the people we talk to, the podcasts we listen to. A lot of us have these gurus who have taken the place of our Jesus. And the question of self-denial becomes, who is your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? We all have crosses to bear. Taking up the cross is self-denial. But taking up the cross is also not letting anything or anyone take the place of Jesus. And that is why when we self-deny, we sometimes know need. And I think there's something beautiful about that. In a world of excess... For us to know need that pulls our minds, and sometimes for some of us, our bellies, yes, to remember that it's God who satisfies our needs. That is God we submit to. You know, in the, in the series, I've been ending with some kind of exercise for us to practice. And, and we, we, we've meditated on a, a certain passage. We've we set aside a, a, a place in the house to maybe pray. And maybe you keep doing those things. And those things, as I was thinking, and the Spirit was like, yeah, you should do that. They felt really good. This one, I almost guarantee, will not make me friends. But I feel like you can't preach on self-denial without making it a little bit hard. And it's going to be hard for me, too. But this is what we're going to do. I want you right now, you probably know where I'm going. Um, If you don't, this is where I'm going. I want you to think of one thing you can't live without. One thing you can't live without. And then, for this week, I want you to give it up. Now, for some of us, it might be the drink when we wake up early in the morning. For some of us, if we're honest, it might be the drink at the end of a long day. For some of us, all of us, especially me, it might be this little rectangle thing that rules our lives. For some of us, it's, it's, it's things that we just know we can't live without. Now, for some of you, this is going to be really, really scary, and I get it. But what I want you to do is, you know, I want to be mindful. Some of us are addicted, so this is like a cold turkey thing, right? But I want you to practice self-denial. You know, so if you drink three cups of coffee to get through the day, try two or one. If you need a drink before you go to bed at night, try just going to bed earlier and don't take that drink. If you need to be on your cell phone for for four hours because it's just scrolling, 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 or to watch a Netflix after Netflix after Netflix, I want you to practice self-denial. I want you to practice self-sacrifice because I think these things rule our lives and we don't realize how much they rule our lives until we set them down. Because here's the thing. It's not about giving these things up because you're holier than thou. It's about giving these things up to not let them continue to rule over us. It's about giving these things up so that we can actually recenter ourselves 
Because here's the thing. No matter what this thing you're going to give up over this next week, no matter what it is, if you really truly can't live without it, that's a God to you. And my prayer is that's not the God to you. But if you can't live without it, that is your Lord. And some of these things might even be good. But remember, good things make for horrible masters. And I pray for you and I pray for me as you sacrifice that it turns your mind to Christ. That it gives you more time to think and meditate on the things of Christ. That it gives you more time to do things like invest in the people around you and being fully present in a conversation. You know, for me, it's going to involve probably putting my computer down when I'm watching TV or, or putting my cell phone down when I'm playing with my kids. But whatever it is, sacrifice can help you to be present with the people around you, but also, at least for me, to be more present with our God. And the thing about self-denial and taking up our cross in a bigger sense, but self-denial in this practical sense is I think it can help set us free. If there's anything you can't live without, and whatever popped to mind first, I want you to come up with some kind of game plan this week and to give up. You know, that's going to be hard. <laughs> but I think you can do it. And I think even more than you can do it, the fruit that can possibly come from it of knowing what it means to make Jesus Lord of knowing what it means to actually invest in the people, to actually invest in my relationship with God, to actually invest my time, which is the most precious thing we may have, in a way that pleases God. And then long term, as you think about taking up your cross, sisters and brothers, may you remember that this is how Jesus, or one of the ways Jesus says that we belong to him and that we follow him. So whether, whatever your cross is to bear, I pray that you bear it and you wear it well. I pray that you trust God and learn to trust God more fully. I pray that in your sacrifice, God is glorified, your growth is shown, and that you bear fruit. Because followers of Jesus that take up their cross change our world. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Whew. Um, benediction? Are you doing I give myself away? I was messed up the lyrics in my head now. I just won't do it. <laughs> One of the great blessings of following Jesus is his ability to change us and transform us over time. And I think one of the things that we forget is that this isn't just, you know, something that like God does and it automatically happens. But God and the Spirit and Jesus are working. But there's also things that we have to do. And one of the things we have to do is to literally surrender to God. It's to literally put our heart and our lives in his hands. It's to literally give ourselves away. When I was younger, I had to memorize Bible verses. So one of the things I got really good at is finding the short ones, you know, finding the real short ones because they said, you just need one Bible verse a week and you got to treat, you know. And there's only so many times you could use Jesus wept. You got to use that on rotation. But one of the other ones I used was Philippians 1.21, which Paul writing to the Philippians says, for me to live is Christ. 
to die is gain. In the heart of that passage, Paul is saying, you know, he has this tension point of like, I know God has me called to you, and I know that God is using me among you. But man, I can't wait to be with Jesus. But even though I'm here, I can't wait to be with Jesus. But I'll try to help you, but I can't wait to be with Jesus. But I thought something, or at least for me, it was a new thought this week, as I thought about self-denial. As I thought about sacrifice, as I thought about giving up, as I thought about actually making a sacrifice and, and depending on God, I realized that in self-denial, we're not just self-denying, but we're dying to self. And I saw this verse in a new light, because to give ourselves up, to surrender, to give ourselves away, to deny the good things for God's things, to deny and to take off, you know, those, those sinful things and to live by the Spirit and not the flesh. To take up our cross is to die to self. But what a beauty, sisters and brothers, that when we die to self, to live in Christ is gain. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that we belong to you. We thank you so much for your love for us, for how you provide for us, that you're truly worthy, that you're truly faithful, that you're truly loving. Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you so much that you remind us that to give up ourselves is a way to follow you. That you remind us that there's nothing or anyone that should stand in the way of us living to please God. Holy Spirit, we surrender to you. We pray for help. We pray for help. We ask forgiveness for those things that may be good and especially those things that are bad that we need to give up. Holy Spirit, we ask forgiveness for letting those things become our Lord, for letting those things be things we can live without. But it's only you, God, that we can live without. For it's only you, God, who deserve to be our Lord. For it's only you, God, who deserves to be the one we surrender to. So Lord, this week and this season, as we individually pledge something to self-sacrifice, something to self-denial, help us as a body as well to think through what does it mean to be faithful to you? What is the access that we have? What is the access that we have? How can we use both of those for your glory? What does it mean to fully take up our cross and follow you? Help us, Lord Jesus. Guide us, Holy Spirit. Hold us, God, our Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.